Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner. Today, we're answering questions from you, the listener, the community. And if you want your questions answered, there are two ways to submit your questions. Firstly, if you're on the newsletter, just reply straight back to Charlie and he'll save it and we'll answer it here. And secondly, message us over at the Facebook group, which is Full Stack Business Owner Community. Join there, send through any questions you've got, and we'll bring it up in these episodes. Now, before we get started, let's cue your famous disclaimer, Charlie. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, this, this is interesting. I'm going to be introducing my own topic. <laughs> so the, the, what we're going to be walking through is uh, I actually just exited a business site slightly, Charlie. So not massive, not glorious, nothing to write up in the papers, but uh, we thought it was a good enough story just to walk through here. So I'm going to hand you the mic and you can get started on this one. Well, I like to think of myself as a member of the community. And if I have <laughs> questions, they should get answered on this show as well. That's and um a few things I wanted to kind of like, I suppose, bring context to here is like on this podcast, particularly, we've been notable for talking a lot about like investment assets of thinking like property shares and like crypto in general. And I know there's others and there's classes and all the rest, but I think we forget that buying and selling businesses or building and selling businesses is often something done with great success as well. Like there's people that have done extremely well out of treating business as an asset class, not just a thing that um, creates cash flow or the ability yep. to build wealth. Now, in your example, Grant, what I, what I really enjoy about like some of the things that have been different between us is for me, I've been all about making cash flow in business and buying, in my case, property assets. Um, in your case, though, you had a very different path where you made the decision, I'm going to assume in your late 20s or mid 20s, where you were going to actually like invest in businesses and build businesses to sell. And you've just made an exit on one and I think it'd be really cool to discuss it because it may open people's minds to potentially selling the business they got or building a business to sell. That might be their vehicle versus um, something more similar to mine. Or even even looking at what other investment opportunities, to your point, around like businesses could be an investment opportunity. Do they sound as good as they actually are? Completely. So let's kick this one off. What was the business and why did you get into this business? All right. So uh, many, many years ago, uh, when I was living in the Philippines, I flew back and two good friends at the time said, we just signed a lease on a premise <laughs> and hey, we think we can do something with this, which is kind of like finding the solution, looking for the problem. Um, and so they said, great, good business, do you want to jump in on this business? So after quite a bit of deliberation, and this was like pre sort of pandemic times and all those kind of things, it was, there's so much co-working spaces in Melbourne, like the growth was like 361%. And so we moved to more of like a virtual address, virtual office, kind of serviced office approach. Um, yeah, so that's what we kind of started with. Uh, so just, I mean, I'm going to jump in on that. Can you explain the business model of that as well? Yeah, so think of, so it was a smaller footprint. So it was about 150 square 
meters. So we predominantly built meeting rooms with a couple of like dedicated offices. And so what it would be is you would pay like your 50 to 100 bucks a month to have an address with us, to have a phone number that just gets directed to your um, mobile phone. But then whenever you wanted to meet a client, you could walk into the premise and then you can actually say like, this is my office because we've got no branding anywhere. It's just, it's completely white label. So anyone can pretend it's like there. So you would have like a suite 10 of the address. And then within that suite 10, you'd be like, hey, this is my office and this is where I work out of and all that kind of stuff. So it was more of a, how do you sell something multiple times without needing to have the inventory all the time? It's like a gym membership, right? Like if everybody who has a gym membership goes to the gym at the same time, the gym can't support it. And it was the same here. So it was great. We believe that a very few amount of people will use a meeting room within a given day. And so we can sell hundreds of these things, if not thousands, and then just support the people who want to meet people face-to-face, et cetera, um, and just do it from there. And then there's just hundreds of like little mailboxes that are kind of hidden behind different doors and stuff like that that people can go in. And it's also accessible 24-7, which was a very big sort of advantage where Pete, where a lot of the other competitors were only available between like eight and six. So, you so can- for example, if you're a mortgage broker, maybe working mostly from home, but every now and then you've got to meet up with a client this is where you could meet with that client or lead. And then also you could have your mail sent from there or things like that. So it looks a little bit more professional. Exactly. Exactly. So um, funnily enough, finance industry was a really big one um, as well as like digital services. So people selling SEO, paid ads and stuff like that, that'd come in, sell somebody. So it was usually any, the ideal target market was anybody who had a recurring product for a couple of thousand dollars, where if they were to come in and use the facility, it would kind of pay for itself. Like, so you might get a, a meeting room for 50 bucks, 100 bucks an hour or 150 bucks an hour and you'd sell someone and through that it just makes economical sense. All right, so we understand the business model now. How long were you in on this business? Now, that's a very good question. So I reckon it would have been like five years, give or take. Um, so you can imagine getting it, getting the keys and then like transparency, it was about a quarter of a million dollar fit out. So it was like... Trust me, I don't want to do fit outs of offices ever again. Um, and then uh, after that, yeah. So then we started off sort of selling a whole heap of stuff, but it would have been about five years, noting that there was a period in the middle where we sort of ran it for a couple of years and there was a trio. Um, two of us kind of stepped away and there was like one guy that kind of ran it. And then he reached back out to me and said, hey, can you just help me sort of rebuild this business model, bring in some more accounts? And I did that and I said, hey, look, I, I think that you need to sort of run this thing yourself and sort of go your own. And so that's where we kind of ended uh, in that last exit. So five years in, 250 grand in fit out and initial costs. Um, how did the business actually perform in that time? Did it produce a good cash flow for you? Was this something that got, I imagine, reasonably affected by pandemic and the rest of it? Like how did it all play out? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, at the start, uh, it was a good initial upkeep. Uh, like it was a good uptick. However, as you can imagine, uh, three different people sort of trying to run one business, uh, differing creative inputs and differing sort of business experience, different business inputs. I'm not saying that one was better than another. Uh, What actually happened was because of the pandemic, uh, the pressure for us to generate money actually created the pressure to build other products to go and sell to existing client bases. So instead of us just saying, hey, we just do like virtual addresses, virtual offices, and that's what we're known for. We actually ended up opening up sort of to doing a whole heap of other services. So we'd look for uh, digital marketing companies that we can resell. We'd look for like reselling printing products like business cards, posters, and promotional material, and just like 
anything that we could potentially sell to the existing customer base, we did, which means that we kind of struggled with building a repeatable process. Word of mouth wasn't really there because no one really knew what we did. If you talk to one person, like, ah, oh, they do business cards. <laughs> you talk to someone else, like, oh, yeah, no, they do virtual addresses. And, you, and so the challenge was uh, in order for us to continue sort of paying through uh, the pandemic and continuing on, um, it was this view of, okay, well, what are we actually going to do in order to sort of build that? And that was the time that I actually transitioned out of three people sort of owning it into one person owning it. Um, and that was just below sort of really sort of key profitability. And then I sort of came back, back in a little bit later. We just refined it down to having one product set of three different packages. And then it became greatly profitable uh, and actually a really good solid business for the guy who runs it now, which was awesome. Like it was, it was the greatest example of when you have a single focus and you have one product that everybody knows you for, like your business can actually thrive. Like when, you, when you're known for too much stuff and you can't scale around it, like no one sort of grows off it. But yeah, just that one focus was kind of the key that unlocked a lot of other stuff. How interesting. So did it produce like monthly cash flow for you? Was it bleeding cash from you? Yeah, good question. So at the start, it was uh, it was kind of profitable near the start and then through or just leading up to the pandemic as we sort of had that mistaken identity, we were putting in money. So I was like each month we'll put in, it might be like a grand each or 500 bucks each or anything like that. And that was just split based on percentage of ownership. Um, and then that was kind of led us to that conversation of saying, okay, well, there was a, a trio. Let's, there's one guy who just said, hey, I want to take this on. And we said, okay, well, we'll almost right off the bad debt. You can take it and sort of run with it. And then after that, it was like, hey, like this thing looks like it might actually be a hit because obviously everyone in the pandemic was closing their leases and they say, hey, we want a virtual address and it's affordable and things like that. He's like, I just need some help marketing this and hitting it. And so then it became profitable. Now, when it became profitable because it was so much debt on the business, there was no like personal debt, I'll say. So it's not like credit card debt or bank loans or anything like that. Um, that was getting paid out as opposed to like dividends to sort of the owners. And the one who was sort of in the business operating it at the time was taking a salary and doing all that kind of stuff themselves. So I'm, I'm just like, I just won't get paid. That's fine um, because of sort of the later on, which is obviously the exit. What about time commitment on these? Because often we think about like, you know, how active you've got to be in an investment to generate a return. If you had to like estimate it, noting it might have come in different stages, is this something you're putting an hour a month into, 10 hours a month, 100 hours? Like what did it shape up as? Yeah, so at the start, um, it was a lot like a lot more effort. So call it a day a week. So maybe eight hours, 10 hours a week of like actively in the business. Um, I was more working on sort of sales and marketing as opposed to like sorting mail or letting people in and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, then I got out, obviously I did nothing. But then when I came back in, it was more about the strategy piece and putting the right people in the right seats. And so call it, I, know, I reckon when I sort of got back in, it might have been half a day to a day a week with peaks and troughs. So like one week it'd be really busy and another week wouldn't be so busy because you're reacting to sort of what's happening. Um, so call it on average, maybe just call it a day a week. Um, after, like before and after for each one. And again, I wasn't getting paid during that period. Oh, and then the big question, did you make a profit on the exit? Yeah, so if you ignore the time that I spent slightly, right? but, if, but if you if, if you factor in inflation, I probably didn't make much at all. Um, so I, I put in, it would have been about, because like, I was a very small sort of equity partner at the start, right? So it was more me for network and sort of marketing and stuff like that. So I put in, it would have been about 25, 30K at the start. Then a couple of chunks of like thousand bucks here, thousand bucks there, et cetera. So I might have been 
I don't know, I haven't done the maths on it, but call it maybe 40 grand, give or take in total. Uh, and I exited, uh, I think it was just over about 50. And that was just paid out over a long period of time. So we've got a slight profit from capital if we don't include your time. Just don't include the time. <laughs> don't include the time. And you've got a slight improvement on, on capital. I, I like to think from every um, investment, whether it goes well or doesn't go well, that I learn something from it, that it shapes me to be better in the future. So I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on it, like almost a few things here and tie them in is like, you know, what did you learn from this experience? What was it like working with friends? And is this something you're going to potentially do again? Like how did it all come through for you? Yeah, it, interesting question. So uh, I'll tackle the, the friend one. So the best thing about it is that we're all still mates, which is awesome. So there's, there's a lot of people who get into business together. And on the other side, like they're not, they kind of lose their friendship, if you're saying. Oh, it's the fastest way to destroy a friendship. <laughs> it's the, um, and so like we're all like really good mates, uh, like great mates even. So we catch up, we know each other's children. Well, I don't have kids yet, but they all know each other. And um, like we go out for dinner and all those kind of things. So it's, it's awesome. The challenging component was that, Imagine three business owners because everyone had run businesses before where all of the different businesses were completely different niches from like manufacturing to like digital marketing to all of these things, right? So we all had a view around how businesses operated. We've all got these biases, right? It's like what's worked for us in our own world then shapes up what we want to do in the next one. I must admit I do the same thing and I'm pretty sure you do as well. Of course I do because I know that I'm really, really, really good at a couple of things and other things I'm like, you know what, someone else can take ownership. Uh, And the challenge that we had was every time that we were trying to define an overarching strategy, uh, everyone had an opinion but there was no sort of clear owner around, okay, someone owns this, someone owns that, someone owns that, someone owns that. And so when I stepped in to help out with sort of the, the marketing side, sort of on, I'll call it like the second innings, so during the, like the second innings, um, from that marketing side, it was more just a key of going, okay, well, this is this is what I'm focusing on. Everything else is not mine. Like this is it. You can't second question me on this. You have to have a defined set of products. If you sell anything else outside of that, it's on you, it's not on me, but this is it. Um, which meant that it, that's actually sort of part of the key as to why I think it actually did quite well progressing forwards because it was like a very defined role where sort of for the first couple of years it wasn't. It was everyone. Can, would, can I just ask one more thing on that as well? Of course. Was this anyone's full time business, or so, were you said like a side hustle for everyone? It was almost a side hustle for everybody. Yeah. So right. everybody still had their. Do you think that business. was a factor? Of course it was, hundred percent. But then it was interesting because everyone would try and make more money from their other main businesses to funnel back in <laughs> because it was like, okay, well, is the pain good enough or is there enough pain for us to really sort of step into this business and smash it full time and, and do all of these things? Or is it just easier for us to make more money in other businesses to go and funnel in to which it was. Um, and that was the key sort of challenge, but it was also why there was such a graceful sort of exit for everybody because it was like a, Hey, like you got other businesses were just crushing it. You've all got other businesses that are crushing it. The one guy wanted it, actually wanted to continue it to use it as the office, his own office, but also have some other people in his network that he does JVs with, etc. So for him, it was strategically aligned to what he wanted. And so it was just, the, it was a very fortunate position as to where it sort of landed in. Um, yeah. So from a, from a friendship perspective, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't dive into sort of a, a business like that again without clear defined roles where there is like you and I obviously do business together but we have some very clear defined roles where you trump me on some certain things and I trump you on other certain things uh, but on the other side of like lessons learned holy smokes would I never have a business that's got so much capital intensiveness up front but also running costs because you got 
employees to support the ecosystem. You got rent and outgoings to do it. Plus, you've got the fit out at the start. Like, so you're already starting from the back foot. <laughs> like, so it's like, like, how do you not just start running at the same line as everybody else? You, you, you're a lap back, and then you're expected to try and keep up with everybody else at the same speed. And it's just, it's too difficult. Like, it's too challenging. I just never do it again. Do you know what? This is what always makes me laugh when I hear people who have digital services or do like online consulting bitch and moan. I'm like, yeah. I think we've got it so much easier and we can like, we don't have to deal with supply chains or massive uh, capital outlays in the same way. And I mean, there's other challenges, don't get me wrong, but um, taking on that amount of capital and risk in this type of business to be, uh, to be honest, it terrifies me a little bit. I think the risk profile on what you've done is actually higher than buying a property in a mining town. Yeah, no, oh, correct. Because- the only thing you've got to grow is your skill sets. Like you have to be so fierce in how you're going to sell and grow that thing just to get it above whatever expenses it has per month, let alone beyond, and then let alone paying down the debt, et cetera. So where did the confidence come from you guys? Like none of you had experience in service offices, to my knowledge, maybe you'll yeah. correct me on that. Um, you've all got other businesses. Like why did this become the thing to do? It was, so the two guys that went and got it, already signed the lease and stuff like that before I kind of joined on. So their confidence came on the price of the premise, which was quite affordable at the time, the location of the premise, which was a ground floor premise with quite a bit of foot traffic and a very prominent sort of part just around Metro Melbourne. Um, And so they're just like, we could just do anything with this and it would be a win because of its proximity to everything and its desirability, et cetera. So then it was like, okay, well, what could we actually do here? So the the benefit for myself was because I could come in as a as a very limited partner with minimal sort of capital outlay where I could hopefully provide a lot of value from a strategic sense and a marketing sense, et cetera. For me, it was a lot more logical than um, for them where like I'd have to talk to them about like what they specifically saw because I remember when we first started, there was a list of different businesses that we could run out of a premise. <laughs> like it this was, sounds so opportunistic. This it was sounds completely like, opportunistic, 100%. Like the, the, it was a solution looking for a problem. It was like, what is the best way to capitalize on a space that's available? And a space that, that you committed to that was empty. It was like blank. I must admit, like I have been caught in the same thing. I've um, almost found people where I'm like, oh, I just want to get in on what, whatever they're doing because I like look at them as a business owner and admire them a little bit. It's never gone well, no. ever. <laughs> and it's, but it's, it's funny, like we, what is it? One of the greatest ways to learn is through failure. Although I, I never like learning that way. Um, but this one was more of the benefit of hindsight of going, okay, well, Every time I talk to a business owner who's trying to crush it now, I'm like, what problem are you trying to solve? Don't build, don't come out with solutions, don't come out with anything else. Define a problem that has people that want to pay for it and then solve it with the easiest way to possibly solve it, uh, not the other way around. And how do I know that? Because I've been through the pain. <laughs> All right, so we've had this experience. I'm going to say like, I'm going to give it a neutral, right? I don't think it was good or bad. Like you didn't um, score massively on the finance front. It's cost you time. It didn't necessarily produce huge amounts of cash flow. But at the same time, you didn't take a heavy loss here. This isn't a write-off one. It's kind of a neutral outcome is my view. But the question I have is um, being you get to take like skills, experience, knowledge and lessons from this, has this put you in a position where you're going, well, I see in my future I'm going to do more of this with the lessons. I'm going to do businesses. I'm going to do more of that stuff where this is something where you're going, do you know what? 
I've had enough experience in this where I'd rather have my active time and attention on the businesses that I operate full time and then move into just investing in more passive assets from here. Yeah, it's interesting because this is, uh, and we could talk about this in a later episode, this is not like my first exit and I've, I've sold equity and like companies worth sort of seven, eight figures before. Like it's, it, it is interesting in the sense of what mine, not frustrates me, but sort of benefit of hindsight is like the opportunity cost of time. I'm just like, damn, like that that time could be invested in something else that was producing like profit. And, and well, that fit out cost alone is a property deposit. Exactly. It's almost, depending where you buy the entire property. Um, but then in addition to that, like I look at it going from a, well, now I have the benefit of hindsight around the assets that I own outside of businesses, et cetera. Like if I had have just played that game years ago before I started investing in multiple businesses that I've sold out of and done all that kind of stuff, I could be in a significantly different position now to the extent that I know the businesses that I spend the most amount of time in and there's one that I spend more time in now than any others significantly outgrow and become more profitable than five businesses that I have hand in could ever be together. And so it's it's been a great reiteration around why having sort of one golden goose, to use a terrible term, um, why having one business and focusing on that business to be successful as opposed to jumping to shiny objects or sort of jump into different opportunities for the stories and all that kind of stuff. Like that is like the number one thing that I tell everybody. And it's it's funny because so many people said that to me when I was going through like my business course at RMIT and it's like, just focus on one business. But they never had a reason why. And now I have the scars on my back to go, no, 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 no. What they were saying is valuable because I did that. I had five businesses once and only one of them was extremely profitable. The other one, like a couple of them were sort of floating by and then a couple of them weren't doing very well at all. And so it's like that value of insight or the value of hindsight is going, no, just having one good business, focusing on that, making me the mode of money, that that's the problem that I think of. And the final piece I would say to this is, imagine you got a couple of businesses. So just imagine I had one business and this other business at one time. When I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about a problem to solve, which one do I think about solving? During the day when I'm trying to jump and solve problems, which one am I solving first? When I'm going to bed at night, what problem am I thinking about solving? And now if you're in a competition with me or you've got a competing company and all you think about is solving the problems for that one business, you're already 2x up on me. Now if I've got five... <laughs> You're five up, up on me, right? Because I'm only using 20% of my problem-solving ability in my time to go and solve that one problem for the business where you've got 100% of your time. And that's that's been the biggest value. So interestingly enough, um, over, and this sort of uh, exit went over about it, sort of a 12 to 18 month period. Um, but over that time, I've actually compressed down to actually just go, cool, how do I just have like one thing that I'm just hammering for and just crushing this thing in? That's such an interesting point. I um. Much to the same thing as I did this earlier on in my career as well, where I had multiple businesses. And didn't you love writing serial entrepreneurial? Oh, dude. I had, what? no, no, I beat, I'll give you a trump. Mine was entrepreneurial ADHD. Ooh, I don't mind that either. Bit of spice. A bit, <laughs> a bit of, of spice. spice. And I remember thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, and I would sell myself on these benefits of I'm learning different businesses, different skills. Like the, ultimately I was doing several businesses poorly. Yep. for myself from there and I just think that's such an interesting thing but that do you know they have a term for this now stupid stupidity second business syndrome oh, dude, it's and I, I could not agree more you know what's interesting I, I did rough napkin maths 
on what would my uh, net worth look like if I had have taken all of this time and effort. Like imagine I took the time and actually just put it into my main business and made the money off it and et cetera. And it actually then instead I just made the money and invested it in like assets, like typical assets that we spoke, speak on here. My, my financial position would be fundamentally different. It's what it is now. And I, that was the thing that I'm just like, I just want to tell everybody, hence why this podcast exists. Cause I'm just like, don't do that <laughs> whatever i did don't do that like, that's not the way to win uh, and i absolutely appreciate you being transparent here right it's like one of the things um and, and i've actually noticed like you've been a little bit shy for you like you're, any, you're like, oh, like i don't like I, I don't like sharing some of these details because they're not me crushing everything yeah right which is difficult right it's very difficult to like say hey um this didn't go as well as i had anticipated but that's why i feel like it's so valuable i think it's so easy for people and it annoys me thoroughly where they only share like, ah, oh, this investment crushed it. Yep. I did 10X on this. I did, you know, all these, ah, oh, my crypto did that or whatever it is. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, but, you know, there's all these losses, pains, battle scars that have come through it along the way. It's, it's fine because I got two other companies. One's still raised at seven figures and the other one it raises at like eight figures. So it's fine. Don't worry get, about let's it. get the guns out. Let's flex. <laughs> let's was, get this done it. from here. All right, let's continue on then. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, I might actually say here we've we've run long on this. I know we've got an extra question here, but we might save that for a future episode. Yeah, with that, let's, let's go into the uh, what we are pondering section. Ground. I think this is an important one as well. I'm, I'm digging this. The host Charlie on this. This is going well. So well, believe it or not, I used to be a podcast host. Right. I got so, I got some skills. Maybe. Hey, just nipping at the heels <laughs> on these ones. Far out. Uh, now this this is a bit of a tongue in cheek one. This is for me. I, I do find this fascinating. So. Most entrepreneurs that I meet are very competitive. Like they, they will just, just, a, a, just a little just bit, a little bit. They they don't want to lose, right? And I think this is why like really successful entrepreneurs love sales, love marketing, and just really sort of hammer it. Because we're competitors, right? Like we we just love that positive competition, not because we want to have one up on somebody else. It's just good. I just love it. And so the interesting thing is, um, so I used to do running when I was living on the Gold Coast. And then sort of uh, when I came back to Melbourne, I got quite sick and all that kind of fun stuff. And then we were talking and you've picked, re-picked up running or picked up running and I've gone, you know what, I'm going to re-pick up running at the same time. So the thing that I'm actually really pondering is like, I wonder how that I can kick the ass off like a veteran ex-cyclist. So I'm sitting here going, I've, my body's built like a sprinter. I just get me to run hundred meters and I'll crush it. Anything beyond hundred meters. I'm like, I'm the worst human being. So I'm now looking like I'm watching YouTube videos and trying to find these hacks on running just so that I can beat your Strava every single day, just to show you who the real boss of running is. <laughs> so that's what I'm pondering is how can I compete against you to really crush it? Do you, do you know what I enjoy in this uh, topic is healthy competition. Yeah. I call it healthy competition. And, um, I think we compete with ourselves. I certainly do, and I, I know you awesome. do as well. And we compete with others. Like this morning, knowing you're also running, when I'm out there knowing that I'm going to share my runtime with you <laughs> and just try and rub it in your face that I'm smashing you at this at the moment, and I, I definitely <laughs> went harder. I could feel you on my heels. <laughs> and then you look at the heart rate, like I'm just like max. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a great example of like mixing healthy competition with keeping up with the Joneses. Yep. And what I would love our audience to come uh, to the idea of is like, wouldn't you much rather be competing on these things that benefit your life and take you into these areas rather than complete competing with who has a nicer car yeah. if you're not really into cars? Yep. Yeah. And I, I love the, 
the holding each other to accountable ability. I think that that is such a good thing. I am uh, one thing that I know that you love to do uh, is very similar to myself is when you commit to something, communicating that to other people as well. And so I love this one because like we're basically both committed to each other. Like, Hey, we want to run more. Hey, we want to sort of focus in on sort of this cardio health that like, I know we've been smashing the gym quite a bit. Um, but really turning this into a bit of a game, a bit of a joke, but also holding each other accountable. Um, but also being able to understand each other's pains. Like, what are you going through? What am I going through? What did you learn? What did I learn? I thought it was a really good point for us to bring up. So find your accountability partner. Find the person you're going to challenge with. Like, I know my wife kicks my butt at the gym, but it's great because she holds me accountable to go to the gym <laughs> like, and to push harder. Do you know that's so fascinating because I've just realized we did the same thing with property. We did. <laughs> um, we still do to a degree and now we're just applying it here. Um, I, I would love to share a few more things on this though. Like you've mentioned like uh, accountability and telling people. I, I definitely do that when I want to get better at something. Something else I do is spend money. So I bought new runners, even though I don't particularly need new runners because I find when I invest capital into improving at something in general, it does well. Yep. Now runners aren't overly expensive. Um, I also bought a uh, premium app which I know you bought this morning as well. I bought it this morning too. Yeah, because I, I'm wanting to see, I'm investing in the outcome I want to achieve. I think when you uh, spend money, create accountability and competition, I think the likelihood of making a change or being successful in an area increases massively. Yeah. But I, and it's also driven, like it drives the content that I consume, right? Like obviously investing in properties, I consume a lot of property information, a lot of debt information, a lot of economy and information, et cetera. But the same with this now, I'm like, and talk to me like, 12 months ago, maybe a couple of years ago, probably better example. I would never watch people on YouTube talking about how to use your gluten running and <laughs> how to like hold your posture to open up your, your chest and breathe properly. So it's like interesting how it drives other areas of your life as well. Wholeheartedly, strong body, strong mind. I think we perform better in business, in uh, investing, all of it. I think it's all connected. So what are you pondering, Charlie? All right. So I better, I better unpack where this actually came from then. Uh, in a previous life, so we'll call this uh, pre-kids, um, I used to do quite a lot of cycling. I think I've brought it up on the podcast enough where everyone should be aware of that by now. If not, congratulations. <laughs> um, but cycling is not a kid-friendly sport or for particularly for, a, for young kids. So one of the things I used to do like every week multiple times is just like go for a three to five-hour bike ride. Yep. <laughs> and it's just not uh, working in with my current lifestyle. So I elected to stop riding so, and do more gym work so I could be uh, spend more time with Jack in all honesty, which I'm thrilled about. It was a really good decision. But in that, one of the things I've been really missing is feeling cardio fit. Anyone who's been uh, very cardio fit or endurance fit, um, it's almost like you slow down the world. I, I kid you not, it gives you Jedi powers. And anyone who's really hit peak cardio fitness will know what I'm talking about. Like you just operate better in the world. And I was actually hoping I would achieve the same thing with uh, going to the gym and doing weights, but it's actually very different. Mm. And I'm not stopping that at all. I actually think there's some seriously great benefits to lifting weights and resistance training and all those things from there. But I just found that for myself, I'm like, I've been doing this gym thing for like at least 12 months now and I'm getting stale. I'm not progressing I'm just doing the same things. Like I'm getting, you know, slightly better at some of these exercises and I'm like, I need to challenge myself in my health because if I don't, 
I, I just don't like these outcomes. Mm. So one of the things I really like to do and identify is like, am I getting stale in an area? And this is all areas of life. And then I'll make a significant change to challenge myself. And that's where the level ups are coming from. So for me right now, I'm, I'm running uh, and then I'm also lifting weights and dealing with what comes with doing both of them. And even in the short time we've been doing this, I feel better. Mentally, I I love that I'm um, seeing progress in this area. And then that translates to me seeing progress in other areas of my life. So uh, a big topic, getting stale. Do you you, uh, experience this at all? Do you ever think about getting stale? It's um, it's funny. When you said like when you get into that routine and especially with running, just you feel that cardio fit. Um, The interesting thing is – Gym for me is like a bit of an inverse. Like if I start pushing weights and I feel like it's too easy because I'm doing the same exercise for like eight weeks, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, now I, I need to feel that burn again. Like to your point, I feel like I'm getting stale. So I'm going to mix it up. I have to do something different. Um, but you're right in the sense that like cardio fit and being gym fit are two very different things to the extent like um, when I was younger, I was a runner, like I was a sprinter. Like just give me a hundred meters and I'm done. Like, Give me 102 meters. I just won't get there. Like that's that that was me. It, it, it shows in your Strava times, by the way. <laughs> and so I can run somewhere very very quick, but beyond that, I, I can't. So like I've never been that cardio fit, even to the extent of me going like my body was designed on how do I get here to there like really quick? How do I lift that weight very very heavy? Uh, which is why like we're working about squats and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, to the extent of getting stale in both cardio, but getting stale in regards to like flexibility and and weight, I think it just things that people, you, you can't really see it, right? Like you would have when you stopped cycling, right? And you stopped having that cardio fitness or you stopped going to the gym and you stopped having that strength. It's very difficult to see and feel that, hey, I don't have that. And because it doesn't give you the feedback that like money in a bank account gives you, right? It's not like, oh, I don't have that money now. <laughs> You just don't get it. Like you have to really stop and go, oh yeah, I don't feel the same way I did. I don't have the same energy that I had. I don't have the mental clarity that I had, et cetera. And that was really sort of some of the points that I see when I don't run, when I don't do yoga, when I don't go to the gym and stuff like that. So that was, that's kind of my feedback on like when I hit stale, I'm like, no, no, no. I now know what's going on. One of the, one of the things I'll mention as well here is that I feel like, uh, for example, when you, and I'll use running as the analogy here, although it's true as well. Let's say uh, one of the goals I have at the moment is to run like a five kilometer run in 30 minutes. When I go out and run and I like hip challenge, so I'm three Ks in and it starts to feel hard, right? Which it certainly does for me at this point. I'm not a seasoned runner. Um, Dealing with the challenge of discomfort of like and pushing through that, I feel like translates heavily into being able to deal with discomfort in business Mm. and investments and financial stress and life stress and kid stress. Like I think there's actually something where it's like uh, being able to push through and overcome uh, challenges in any area of life translates to all of them, Yeah, which is why I think uh, fitness and health is so important for business owners in general. Because you're right, it transitions into that emotionally fit that we spoke about like two episodes ago. Huge. Because, it, yeah, if your body is fit, you can become emotionally fit and progress on it. I'm going to wrap this one up, Charlie. Jeez, we, Let's do it. we definitely did. Dove deep into some of these topics, which is awesome. And so, for anyone who's listening at home, be sure to be subscribed to this podcast and share it with anyone else that you think might want to listen to this as well. We've got some awesome episodes coming up. Uh, we've got some questions from the audiences. We've got some guests coming on too. So, make sure you're subscribed. And also, if you do have any questions that you want us to answer, there are two ways to get us to answer them. Firstly, 
If you're subscribed to the newsletter, just reply back to one of Charlie's emails and ask away, share details and we'll bring it up on the podcast. And the second one is join the Full Stack Business Owner Community Facebook group. Ask your questions there and we'll bring it into the podcast and actually answer it there as well. I just want to say thank you again for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.